Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. Usually on the podcast, we talk to people after they have completed a massive journey, and we hear their reflections on what they've accomplished. But today we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to be talking to somebody who is only a month into a big journey. We're talking with Nate Jetter, who a month ago set off on his around-the-world bike ride. Hi, Nate. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to find, you know, to have connected with you and to find out how you're feeling like at the start of a journey like this. Um, but before we go to that question, I want to know what was the inspiration to embark on a round-the-world bike journey? I can tell you, for me, the, the main inspiration is uh, change. Reflecting uh, on the question, uh, I have moved a lot in the recent years, and I always like to, to get into new places, meet new people, be um, in new environments. And for me, I have to say, like for me, change is, is the main motivation, and the bicycle is like the pragmatic uh, thing coming out of it. Um, it's not because I'm a huge bicycle fan, so I never rode, uh, I never rode a lot of bicycle actually before, and never did uh, a lot of long tours. Oh wow! So like this is a whole new uh, new way of traveling for you. So you're not someone who's been bike touring around on weekends or week long trips. This is kind of your first big bike trip as well. Yeah, yeah, you could you could tell so. you could say so. So uh, I I never really had a good bicycle uh, before, so it wasn't really a lot of fun to 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 ride it to be honest it was exhausting and i did like some smaller tours to like the swimming pool or whatever but uh, i never did uh, even like a two-day consecutive tour before going on this adventure and um, i know it was it, it would be a really bad point in time to figure out that cycling is not for me i have to admit <laughs> <laughs> but so far uh, that was not the case so um, i'm in day 38 now and still going strong so uh, i don't regret the decision yet. so so that's really interesting so were you inspired by other you know bike tours to get on the bike or you know considering you didn't have a big you know background in cycling how did you decide to to bike it's a good good and valid question um actually like I was just thinking what would be the best way of transport of doing that and I was doing like pro and con lists. Uh, for me a car for example is like too unpersonal, it's too expensive and it's also too, yeah I, I don't know it just didn't really fit my, my style of traveling and the same with a motorcycle and there, there aren't a lot of things left then if, if you look at it that way and the bicycle is just a good combination of its not too expensive. You can cover some distance. You can um, carry enough weight. Like I like to go hiking, for example, but it would be too slow, and I could also not carry all my equipment. And and so the bicycle is like the only thing which was which was left for me, more or less, except maybe a donkey. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I kept at the bicycle. Yeah. I actually met someone who they crossed Corsica with donkeys, and I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I couldn't imagine going around the world with a donkey. That would be a, a big journey. Yeah, like one of my friends, when, I, when we were talking about the trip, he was like, why don't you take a donkey? And I was like, yeah, 
why why not why why didn't <laughs> i <laughs> and uh, maybe maybe in the future but it, it would make also a great adventure i guess if you just let the donkey decide where to go <laughs> um but maybe you would just stay at a nice place somewhere but yeah so that is that is how i ended up with the with the bicycle and i um, i also got inspired by other people so i'm not the the, the first person doing it um, that is also where I got a lot of my inspiration for equipment. Um, I checked a lot of the internet. Like the good thing about the internet, there's a lot of information, and the bad thing, there's a lot of information. So you have to you have to go through a lot of things and to to this to just take out the information which is uh, viable for you. And that is how I came up with the bicycle and also with my with my uh, gear in the end. Yeah. So I, that was actually one of my questions: is in terms of preparation. Uh, it sounds like you did a lot of research to find, you know, the right bike, the right panniers, the right tent, all those things. Um, did you have to buy everything from scratch or did you have some of the stuff from your, your hiking? I can't think of one item I, I took from my hiking stuff because I also didn't do like a lot of overnighter things. So it was more like day touring. I bought everything from scratch yeah? and I spent a lot of, lot of hours in researching and watching YouTube videos and checking through websites and everything. And uh, now I'm, I'm pretty, pretty happy with my equipment, I have to say. Although I have to also say that I sent some back already before crossing the Alps now, because I had a lot of stuff. Yeah, I had like 35 kgs of equipment because I'm also filming and I have some filming equipment with me. And I had some things like uh, two or three power banks and like two headlamps and I mean, I'm not crossing the Kalahari Desert, so if I don't have something, I can I can get it. That is what I realized now. You just have to make the, the experience yourself. That is what I, what, what I think, because also people said, yeah, you don't need it much. You don't need this. You don't need that. But it's I think it's a highly personal thing. Some people want to have that. Some people want to have something else. So. I think that every single person, as you start to do these big journeys, you either just give stuff away or you mail it home. I remember my very first long walk. I I think I sent three like fairly big boxes of stuff back to Canada. And I had like six shirts or something. I didn't know anything. I was walking across the Pyrenees and yeah, the same thing. It's like, why do I like why do I have six shirts? And like, why do I have a spare set of running shoes? And, you know, every kind of week you realize I'm sick of lugging all this this extra extra weight around. Yeah, but I think it's it's a good thing. Uh, to to experience it yourself i felt it with every meter and altitude i could feel what i'm carrying with me and then it really gets you thinking what you have yeah? <laughs> and uh, i mean th th there are so many different styles of, of traveling with the bicycle there are like the the super lean ones which carry like just a tarp and and sleep below some shed or something and i'm for me the speed is is not a deciding factor so i don't have to be fast i i take my time i I stay at places for a day if I need to rest. And for example, now I'm sitting on a chair while we are talking. So I also carry the chair with me. It's like a, a small foldable uh, camping chair. And um, of course, do you need it? Yeah, you don't necessarily need it, but I want to have it. And I'm glad that I have it <laughs> because every time I'm doing a small break, I'm sitting on a chair and it, it just feels nice to, to sit on a comfy chair at the end of an exhausting day. Uh, I know, I know that feeling. It's those small, those small luxuries. Uh, I want to go back to preparation and how did you prepare physically? You know, you, you're not a big bike rider. Were you doing lots of kilometers beforehand, or were you getting fit in the first week or two of of your journey? 
So I did not do uh, any physical preparation at all. Um, that was also one thing I got from, from blogs and articles. Um, a lot of people just said that the human body is, is adaptive. Yeah, if you if you are exhausted, then it will uh, drain. And I have to say, I coming back again to my motivation, I just did not have any motivation to to go in in the gym and, and ride there the stationary bicycle or ride in the area I I know because that is why I'm doing it. I want to experience the unknown and. I don't have any fun in, in cycling where I know every tree and stone. So at the day of my departure was also actually the first time when I completely had the bi bicycle with all the gear. So I never did, did like a small test run or anything. And that, that was why I also was a little bit uh, not scared, but I had respect of the first day because I did not know how it will feel after like 10 or 20 kilometers. Um, but yeah, so far to the... Uh, to the physical preparation and, and I mean now I can I can feel that I that I'm every day I'm getting stronger um, I don't have any like pain in, in, in any part but uh, I can feel that my muscles are adapting yeah? I can feel them now and um, it just it just works works out that way for me I, I really love that you haven't been a bike tour you didn't prepare and you're, you know, 38 days into a massive bike journey. I think a lot of people, they they look at, well, I don't, I don't know how to do a bike tour. I've never done a bike tour. I'm not in good shape as reasons not, you know, they want to do it, but they don't take that first step. And you've taken that first step, uh, which I think is incredible with kind of, no, you know, not a ton of preparation. But what's been the biggest challenge for you in getting started? Like, th this sounds like it's been really easy, but there must have been challenges somewhere or maybe there wasn't in terms of, you know, going and saying off on a round-the-world bike ride. I, I have to say for me, like, completely personal, I, I'm kind of kind of lucky to have a strong inner compass, so to say. Yeah, I, I had a couple of times in my life where, where I was really sure that what I'm going to do next is the right thing. And this was one of them. So I, I did not doubt uh, a lot, um, or actually not at all. So I knew I wanted to go for something like that. So... The spark of the idea is maybe around three years old and the bicycle thing maybe like one and a half or something and uh, i already knew back then that i will do it and that i will certainly do it and i adjusted my life around it yeah? so i could for example um, give notice uh, at my uh, at my work i gave it quite early because it was also for me better and just for my personal feeling because i already knew back then that i will do it and um, that that really helped me in that that way, and therefore I could also align. But obviously, it's it's a personal thing, and I'm also kind of aware of my 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 situation. I call it maybe like the, the triangle of life. There's um, money, there's health, and there's time. Yeah, and if you're old, usually you maybe have time and money, but you're not healthy enough to do it. Uh, I had. Um, the, the no time but I was healthy and um, had some money saved up and now I took care of the time part as well so that is uh, like now I have all the three points of it and um, I was aware that that's a really narrow time window and that I want if I want to do it it's now and not later uh, I love that you uh, have that 
you know, idea about money and time and health. I was on a podcast two days ago and they asked me, you know, one of my biggest regrets and I don't have any regrets, but I wish I had traveled. I traveled a lot, you know, before I got married and had kids. Um, but I kind of look back and I could have traveled more because that's when you have the ability to have time. I didn't have much money, but I had enough money to go. You know, I was always kind of a, a dirtbag traveler where I was trekking or, you know, kind of living on a couple of dollars a day. Uh, and I described how I meet people who are in their 60s who are losing their health that all of a sudden have lots of time and money, but they can't go do these incredible adventures. Uh, it's great that, you know, here it is two two days later and you're you're saying the same thing. Uh, and I think it's, you're, you're right. Like, you know, once you get older, you have all these responsibilities and kids and you can't just go off for a couple years to uh, to 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 ride a bike around the world. I wish I'd realized that 20 years ago because I would have ridden my bike around the world. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can you can go with a donkey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, actually, my wife and I, we always you know, we, we have this theory of um, scarcity. And in your life, like I only have like 30 summers left where I'm going to be in, you know, great shape and or not great shape, shape enough to like go on a big bike tour or, or go on a walk. And so we actually plan out like, what are we going to do in eight years? What are we going to do in 12 years? And uh, a couple of nights ago, we were just talking about like walking all the all the way across Europe and then go to Turkey and go into Central Asia and, you know, just kind of like exploring the world, kind of doing one lap around the world and then going from Ushuaia up to Argentina. And so we were, we were literally like, well, you know, once we're retired, like looking at how we want to explore the world, but we've got three little boys, so we can't we can't do that right now. Um Speaking of itineraries, how much of your itinerary have you have you planned so far? So I have some major points where I want to, to go. So um, I have like some cities where I want to meet some or visit some friends. And I already put like two of my lists, like Freiburg and the city of St. Gallen in Switzerland. And my next big one would be Vienna, but it's like 600 kilometers away. So it's for me splitted. I have this, this major cities and... Uh, then I plan every day. So I plan at the evening of, of the day, I plan the route for the next day. So it just helps me to to kind of have a feeling uh, how far I'm going to go tomorrow, where I will go, where I will end up also. And um, that is how I usually do it. And after like um, Vienna, I want to go to, to Hungary and then to um, Croatia, Bosnia, Serbia, Bulgaria. So there I just know the, the countries, um, but there are no further major major cities or points I want to go and uh, then there's something again in Istanbul and then I, I don't know anymore <laughs> so it's like a, mix, a mixture between uh, some points where now okay I meet some familiar faces which is also nice for me to know because I'm traveling alone and obviously you also want to connect with, with people you know and um, then the other day is like I would say freestyle so I also um, learn for me that I don't have to worry enough if it's further down the road, especially the route, because the closer I'm getting there, the, the people will know the best route. Yeah? So I did the, 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 the thing now with the Alps. Um, I know that there were the Alps and I never did like a long distance and I never rode out of altitude and whatever. And I said, yeah, I will find a way. I mean, there, is, there, will, there will be a way. And I, di I did not want to go through Germany again. That was for me important because I started in Germany, went to France, went back to Germany, then Switzerland, Germany, Switzerland, Germany, and I didn't want to go again. And um, But again, what I want to say is that you don't have to define also too much because people, the closer you get somewhere, will give you advice. And that is also like the, 
the wiggle room I think is important to have uh, a certain de degree of freedom in the route, but also to have a goal. I think it's also important to 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 drive somewhere, to not just drive around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that sounds great. Just having the flexibility, uh, if you want to take a day and just explore a city or maybe go off and, you know, change your route because you hear there's a great village or town or a festival nearby. Uh, I think that's that's su such a good approach. Um, how long do you think or how long have you set aside to ride? Like, is this is this a couple years you're going to be riding, do you think? It's a good question. <laughs> I set myself now to be in like in, in Georgia in September, October. And um, I'm pretty certain that, that I will, it will not be the stop of my journey. So I will, I will then go somewhere else. I, I don't completely know, to be honest, but there is one, one thing which kind of determines it more or less. So I, I had to give the information at my travel insurance when I will come back. And I said April 26th. Oh, wow. So that would give me three <laughs> years. <laughs> and there's also the possibility to extend it to five. So that is more like on the upper range and a year would be uh, on the lower range and it will be somewhere in the middle. That is my feeling, but I don't exactly know, to be completely honest. I will, I will see. You talk about change in the unknown and that's just, you know, exactly, you know, it's every day is new and you don't know what next month or, you know, three months out or is going to be. And that's probably part of the excitement is just you don't know how life's going to develop, you know, two months from now. Yeah, I, I see it every day because it's just the next corner. Yeah, There could be something interesting around the next corner. So, for example, in France, uh, I drove by um, a sanctuary for cats. Like there was a lady, she's taking old and feral cats and, and, and taking care of them. And I like cats and I saw the cat and I wanted to pet it. And then I stopped there and then one thing led to another and they gave me a, a tour of the, of the cat uh, sanctuary. And then I had some dinner with them and... That, that just happened, yeah, that just happened at the road. And if, you, if you're out there for four or five hours, a lot of things can happen, yeah. These random things, you never, you can't even think of them because you would never think that would be part of, part of it. But because you're so much exposed to, to being outside to, to, to meet people. And that is also actually one big advantage of the bicycle. Um, you're pretty approachable. And, and somehow people feel... I don't know, pitiful for bicycle <laughs> riders. So sometimes when I'm arriving at the campground, people come to me and ask if I need something. And that, that happened several times. And that would not happen with a motorcycle, for example. And but because people can relate to what it feels like riding a bicycle up the hill. Yeah? Everybody knows it sucks. And even especially if you have a lot of a lot of gear, like just yesterday, a couple, they came back to me and wanted to take a picture and uh, stuff like this, this happens all the time and people giving thumbs up or, or talking to you and um, that is i would say also an advantage of the bicycle that that will not happen with other with uh, other mode of transport yeah yeah no I, I think also people everyone wants to do that like you know everyone wants to do a great journey and so if you see somebody you know out on their bike you know i think people just like think you know they're driving to work they're driving to do an odd job they're like oh i wish i was just on my bike you know going somewhere who knows where i think it's uh people can people can identify with that sense of of wanderlust um what's an what's an average day for you like in terms of like you know how far do you go 
Um, what are you doing for meals? You know, I can hear the bird song and saw some campers behind. So obviously you're doing some tenting, but um, just just share like what's an average day like? So birds, uh, a good point. I get uh, woken up by them <laughs> quite a lot and it sounds pretty romantic, I know. But uh, if it happens at five and during springtime, they're especially active, as you know. Um, they wake me up quite a lot and then I try to sleep a little bit longer. I got some earplugs now after some time um, because then the sleep would just not be enough. But I, I then get, get waking up usually by nature, either by the birds or by the, by the sun. Especially now when it gets warmer, the tent heats up quite quickly. So you can't really stay um, inside for long. And then I'm going out um, preparing a coffee. So that is important for me to, to have a coffee. I have like a filter coffee. And um, for breakfast, um, I mostly some oatmeal or banana. And um, that also changed. So I was not really a breakfast person before. And uh, now I tend to get hungry also in the morning. Like the eating part, I already recognize is, is a really difficult topic because you, you have to eat also when you're not hungry because you will feel it um, afterwards. And I have my, my, my watch, for example, it, tra it tracks the activity and it sent me a couple of information now. Oh yeah, something changed in your behavior, what's going on? <laughs> you have like 1000 extra calories per day. And then thinking back, I did not eat 1000 calories um, more. And I, I went to the supermarket with the thought of, okay, I'm having to buy things which have a lot of calories. So usually that, that, that is not the way it is working, but I specifically went for like some chocolate and uh, sweets and other things. So yeah, the eating and I, I tend to have like after the lunch, um, yeah, after um, breakfast, some smaller breaks. Yeah, some fruits maybe along the way and then some, some noodles. And then in the evening, when I'm when I'm having set up uh, camp again, I have some proper meal. Um, but I also have to say, unfortunately, cooking is not necessarily one of my strengths. So it also was not before. And now with limited, I mean, I have one pot, I have one small pan, I have one source of heat, and the range of things you can cook is limited. I would say. And um, I said to myself, I will eat as much pasta and other stuff until I can't do it anymore. And I think I'm, I'm slowly but surely uh, approaching that threshold of me having to figure out what else to prepare. Yeah. <laughs> I know that feeling. It's And then you just, uh, if you got to the point where you're just combining things in your pasta, it's like, you know, I can't because... I get like pasta and then you just have like the the jar or the little squeezy thing of sauce and then it just gets too much. So I would throw like soup mix in there or olives in there or just a bunch of cheese, just anything just to change the flavor because it was, yeah, seven days a week pasta with tomato sauce from like a, a supermarket. It was quite a throwback to my student times. Yeah, I, I can feel that I want to have more, more, more variety. But yeah, eating is, is definitely, um, it's, it's quite a challenge. For, for me personally, I have the advantage of um, cycling not too much every day. As I mentioned before, speed is not one of my priorities. It's usually I, I, I cycle now between 30 and just yesterday. I had my longest tour with 76 kilometers. Um, and, and that is the range usually. So it's maybe three to five hours on a bike depending on elevation 
and um, the day would be quite long if that would be the only activity but uh, I, as i said before i have like some filming equipment and gearing doing editing and i can sit and sometimes for three or four hours um, just at a table and, and doing editing and uh, then the day is over so i am not i'm not bored that is what i want to say i have i have a lot of activities to fill the day still and uh, yeah, but if I would not have this part, then I think I would cycle more. But on the other hand, I would have like seven or kg, uh, seven or eight kg of equipment less. <laughs> so <laughs> I also could cycle more. Now, are you staying in campsites every night, or or do you ever just like wild camp or random camp just in a in a forest beside the trail? So if you take like an average week or seven days, I try to like wild camp three three days, and. Um, Two days maybe a uh, campground and two other days with um, like community apps like warm showers or one night one tent or something like that. So there are a lot of different applications out there uh, to connect uh, people so you get a place to sleep for free. And um, maybe like now within the 38 days I only spend two days in a hostel. But I think the more um, I approach Eastern Europe, it will be also more affordable to go to like small hostels, hotels. Um, so that would be the mixture, I would say. Um, in Germany, for me, it was easier to wild camp because they know the rules. And here, for example, in in Austria, they are a little bit more strict here in that area. So they, if they catch you, they will fine you. And uh, now it's easier but because like in the last days I was in, in valleys so there's not a lot of room to hide so to say so they're like the the streets and they're yeah it's hard to get caught so I, I stick to campsites um, the last two days and and you talked a little bit about the budget or you know tr trying to be economical what's your like weekly budget or daily budget you're you're trying to hit or do, do you have one I, I have one so I have a monthly one, I would say it's around 800 euros, but including everything. So including also health insurance, including mobile phone plan, including different... I have like a drone, for example, I have an insurance for that. Um, and I'm tracking all the expenses myself personally. And I, I, have, I have a good feeling of what I'm spending. Um, and when I feel like I'm spending too much, then I'm steering against it to to not uh, exceed exceed that yeah and it's it's also interesting for me because uh, like back from work i'm also a statistic statistics guy so i'm tracking every day how long i've wrote i have like a sleep score how well i slept how long i slept how much money i spend in which country and coming back again to that i said i, I spent sometimes um, um the night at friends places so switzerland on average for me was the cheapest country oh, so wow. far, but, but not because <laughs> of it's cheap, <laughs> because I could spend a lot of uh, like uh, nights and, and, and got meals from uh, from France. So otherwise I would not have gone there. Yeah, but but that is that is my budget. And yeah, I'm, I'm tracking every euro. I'm, I'm putting everything inside. I have categories set up for like uh, groceries and um, hygiene and, and everything. And I've configured it for my phone and for my uh, notebook so I can I can make entries pretty fast and, and I'm doing it for everything. And then I'm, I'm checking it and seeing if I'm exceeding somewhere. And yeah, as I mentioned, steering against. And I think it will shift a little bit the, the, the cost. As I said, the more I'm heading east, the more cheaper some things will be. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's incredible. You can tour for 800 euros a month in Germany and Austria and Switzerland. As you go farther east, you'll be able to live like a like a king for 800 euros a month, I think, in some places. Yeah, yeah. And I want also to mention that um, I'm also including like a museum, for example. So as I mentioned, when I'm when I am somewhere and I, I want to, to have a look, I'm also having some activities, yeah. going to a museum, to an art gallery. Uh, doing a city tour, uh, stuff like that. But yeah, it, it it's not as expensive as people think sometimes. Uh, obviously, 800 euros is also not nothing. Uh, it has to be, it has to come somewhere. But if you look at how much rent you pay and you compare it and maybe then health insurance and so on, then uh, it's maybe not that much after all again. Yeah. Actually, my sister has said that in a lot of the world, it's actually cheaper to be traveling than just living a regular regular life where she lives in Canada. Because, you know, food costs are so expensive here and going to restaurants are so expensive. And just like your day-to-day, you know, you go to a yoga class and it's $28. And so when she's in like Portugal or Eastern Europe or, or most of Asia, she's like, actually, it's just cheaper kind of just living costs in Canada versus traveling costs in some of these countries. It's cheaper to travel than to live you know, live, live where she lives, uh, which is in kind of incredible when you think about it. But, you know, you're proof of it right now that 800 euros a month and you're, you know, exploring all of uh, some of the most expensive countries in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I have to say like this camp, this campsite is one of the worst I've ever been in. And I spent the most I ever spent. It's like, well, it was 30 euros. <sighs> the problem was yesterday I wanted to go somewhere else. And um, it was close when I arrived and I was not able to continue far. But the next one, which is this one, was like 20 kilometers away. And I powered through and I was I was completely done when I arrived here. And I, I did not check the prices or anything because I was like, yeah, it's a campground. How expensive can it be? And then I arrived here and it, it's not, it was not really good. So that, that was one of the negative experience I would say the best one I've yet so far was also one of the most beautiful for eight euros in France next to a lake and uh, I got electricity and I stayed uh, one one more day and th- that was one of the one of the best ones uh, so it it also varies I, I could have checked a little bit more thorough but I did not <laughs> but yeah so so it happens it's crazy how expensive some campgrounds are in Europe. I remember staying in some and it was, yeah, like 28 euros for just a piece of gravel in like a big field. And I was like, holy crow, this is, it's expensive. Sometimes it's more expensive to camp than it is just to stay in a hostel or like a cheap, like pension or, or bed and breakfast. To be honest, I'm trying to get the most out of out of my money because uh, I'm, I'm staying now to quite late. I took the electricity from the, from the bathroom and uh, I will... <laughs> I will leave here in the evening because, like, I was I was kind of upset. Sort of, I was a little bit angry actually because it, it was really not not good. And uh, now I'm trying to get some of it back at least, <laughs> 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 whatever whatever I can because it's not good. And I will and I will leave them a negative review because it's not good and people shouldn't come. Um, you know, you're doing this all solo. I've done a lot of solo traveling, and there's definitely some benefits. Um, but it's also sometimes hard, you know, it can be lonely at times. Uh, how do you find traveling solo? You know, do you find that uh, it's difficult at times? Uh, yes, I have two personalities in that sense. So 
for one, I, I'm completely comfortable on myself, otherwise I would not, not do it. But I also need to recharge, so to say, my social battery and, and interaction. And you have a lot of like high-level interaction, as I said, people coming to you, asking where to go and so on. But um, it's not on a more deeper level. Yeah? And I also have to say, where I'm traveling now, there are not a lot of um, other cyclists. Actually, I just saw one <laughs> arrive now, maybe I'll go to him <laughs> to, to talk later on, because here in this hilly and mountain area, there, it, actually, it's the first one I've seen in a couple <laughs> of days. <laughs> um, so I will go to him later on. But otherwise, uh, I, I kind of cope with it, with, with sharing my experiences on, on, on different socials and like Instagram and making videos. And that is, that is how, how I um, satisfy the urge to share the experience. And that also makes me feel less lonely because I get like comments and interaction from from family, from friends, but also from random people now on, on, on YouTube where I say, hey, we, we enjoy it and uh, we are happy to be part of it. And that also motivates me to, 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 to keep going. But for example, now I also would, would like to have some more interaction because in the last five, six days, I did not have a proper longer conversation with someone. So I was, I was more to myself. Um, but again, I'm in general, super comfortable with that but from time to time after a couple of days i need to have a proper social interaction whatever that will be like yeah, yeah i'm i'm super introverted but uh even for the same thing after a few days it's like oh it'd be nice just to talk to somebody just to have like more than you know paying paying a bill or like you know being in the grocery store and it is uh once you find like once you get on one of these major euro velo routes you know, or you get into more established bike touring areas, then it's fun because you can have like a, a campground with like six or seven other bike tours and some are coming from where you want to go. And uh, that that's kind of a nice part. You have this camaraderie, you have a, you know, a coffee or a beer or something, and you can just kind of get some stories and know what to expect. Yeah, I had one really nice inter interaction with, with one cyclist uh, at, the, at the campsite I was mentioned earlier in France. So greetings to David if you hear that. He's a little faster than myself. He's currently in Hungary. And yeah, we shared a bottle of wine, had a good conversation. And, and that was actually also the first uh, long distance cyclist I met on the tour because we started a little bit pre-season, I would say, in the mid of April, where it was kind of cold in, in the evening still. And also during night, of course. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward um, to also get on the more frequented routes to have these interactions you also mentioned. Uh, and then one kind of last question is, uh, how did you afford to do this and, and have the time to do this? We talked a little bit earlier about time, money and health. Um, but if you're planning on three to five years, even on a budget, you know, that can be a lot of money and then not working. Uh, how did how did you make this happen? Okay. Um, so I was uh, living quite frugal the last years, I would say. So I lived in a shared flat. I did not have an expensive car and um, I could I could save quite a, quite a lot of money and I did not really spend a lot of money. And also when I got like maybe more uh, wage, a wage increase, I did not increase my expen uh, expenses. So that was that was the one part. And uh, or that is the only part, actually. So I did not have anything else like given to me. So that was the, the money I saved up on myself um, the last years of working. 
And on the other hand, I I don't want to go back broke also. No? That, that's also not the plan. So I'm also seeking uh, different possibilities to get some income. It, it, I don't want to just spend money. Of, of course, it's maybe easier said than done. Um, but I'm I'm trying to 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 get some income from 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 different different streams. So far, uh, it's it's building up, I would say. But uh, I'm I'm heading in the right direction. And uh, yeah, the plan is not just to live live on the expansions. But but I could. But I would then not be out there for three years. Mm, mm. It, I actually talked with the guy who was uh, he was a software developer. And so he would cycle from Friday night to like uh, Monday midday, and then he'd f just locate himself in an Airbnb for five days. And so he was like cycling. He was just cycling to Turkey, I think, or maybe he was cycling to Japan, but he was just doing it in three day chunks, three day chunks. And he was keeping his regular job. And I thought, oh, what an interesting way to to travel like he his income didn't change and actually he was living in berlin so actually his expenses went way down because it's cheaper to rent an airbnb than a flat in berlin um so there's all these different ways with remote work and uh social media to find a way to survive while exploring the world you know nate it's been great to hear about your story and actually really inspirational that you know kind of with no training and no experience here you are day 38 of this massive bike journey uh, I want to say thanks for coming on the show and sharing your journey so far. Thanks for having me, Richard, and yeah, take care. Uh, now, actually, before you go, you mentioned uh, some social media. If people want to check out your videos, how can they find you? So um, my YouTube channel is called Secondhand Experience, so secondhand written together. But you can also just uh, Google it. So I also have a website and there are um, the different um, socials linked. So there's a YouTube channel and I'm posting more frequent uh, content on my Instagram channel. Uh, and what I'll do is I'll put links to all of Nate's uh, social channels on his website in the uh, show notes. So you can just click those and go right to the website or right to his social media. Uh, and with that, thanks for listening to this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear about more epic adventures. Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures.